Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Then in verse 34, he says these words, take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Not worrying about tomorrow. Good song. sunshine for its skies may turn to gray I don't worry for the future for I know what Jesus said and today I'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. I don't know. Boys and girls ages four years old through the fourth grade, look who's going with you today. Luke, <laughs> not Luke, that's last month. How about Daniel and Joy? Mason's Children's Church for the month of March. And we've got our leaders all lined up for Children's Church now for the next three or four months. And who knows, you may be on the list. No, don't, don't, don't quit church over that, okay? We don't, we don't tell anybody to do it. We ask people would they like to do it. They can say yes or no. It's a free country. We believe in the, the individual priesthood of the believer. You can say yes to opportunities or say no. So we ask you, would you like to do that? And if you would, then go to it. If not, say, no, I'd rather uh, mow the lawn. That's fine. Go mow the lawn. I'd rather teach science school class. Well, if there's a class, you can teach that. I'd rather work in the nursery. We could always use nursery workers. <laughs> we could always use nursery workers. So just serve the Lord as opportunities come. Okay, but we do have looking forward to the 
the next few months in Children's Church. It's going to be exciting times for these boys and girls. Take your Bibles, please, if you will, and turn to Ephesians, please, chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. If you were here last Sunday morning, you probably remember, I hope you do, our text was Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 9. We saw in that passage that God commands us to walk as children of light. We saw two key words in the passage that tell us what it means to walk as children of light. Those two words were the words disobedience and the words darkness. When we walk as children of light, we do not live in disobedience to God. That's how we lived before we were saved. We've already seen that throughout the book of Ephesians. Now that we've been redeemed, we obey Christ. We obey the word of God. We don't walk in disobedience to God, obeying our sinful nature, obeying Satan himself, obeying and following the enticements of the world. We don't obey the world. We don't obey Satan. We don't obey our human nature. We obey the Spirit of God who lives within us. The second word we saw was the word darkness. When we walk in the spirit of light, we do not walk in spiritual darkness. We do not walk in ignorance, walking therefore in sin, spiritually blind. We did that before we were saved. Now that we are saved, we are to walk as children of light. Not darkness, light. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So our lifestyle is therefore characterized not by darkness and ignorance and sin and disobedience, but it's characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth, as we saw in verse 9, where the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We saw last week in the passage two important reasons for walking as children of light. The first one was because when we do not walk as children of light, but rather we walk as children of disobedience or darkness, it, it doesn't make any sense to live like the unsaved. It's not becoming to our life, God says back in the passage, as, as becometh living in darkness and disobedience is not becoming. It doesn't match with being a holy one, a saint, a child of God, a redeemed person one who's been forgiven, one who's been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and we keep walking in darkness, it doesn't, they don't match, they don't go together, it's not becoming. The second reason he gave us that we want to walk as children of light is because when we are children of wrath, when we are children of disobedience, when we're unsaved, God says we're one day going to experience his wrath. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Waiting one day to face the wrath of God, and God says, listen, you're not going there. You're not going to face God's wrath. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. You have eternal life. There's now, therefore, no condemnation to them once you're in Christ Jesus. So why would you want to walk in darkness, in disobedience? Wouldn't it make sense to walk as a child of light, thanking God for your deliverance from death and sin and wrath and hell? As I finished the message, as I, would really, as I finished preparing that message probably two, three weeks ago, I thought, you know, I need to start working on the next message. That message was done. It was ready to go. I didn't get to preach it the first week because of what was it, the weather, I think, or something. Something happened that Sunday. And I said, you know, I got to preach it last night. I said, but I remember when I finished my study, I thought, well, now what comes next? 
Let me just see what comes next. And so I read verses 10 through 17. As I read verses 10 through 17, I saw it's just real simple. Verses 10 through 17 all tie in with 3 through 9. The key verse last week was verse, what was it? 8. Look at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as churn of light. When I read verses 10 through 17, it was pretty obvious. It's all about walking in the light. It's what's involved in walking in the light. It's what's the result of walking in the light. Follow along as I read the text for this morning and tonight, please. Two messages, verses 10 through 17. I want to again read verses 8, 9, and 10. Here we go. For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now here's our text this morning and tonight. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Would you look again at verse 10? Proving the unto the Lord. That verse absolutely follows without any question in meaning and the significance here, the message that goes along with verse 8. Your Bible probably has verse 9 in parentheses, does it? Now, how many of your Bible has parentheses verse 9? Oh, there you go. Verse 9 is a parenthesis, but 8 and 10 go together. Ye were sometimes, before you were saved, you were sometimes darkness. And now that you're saved, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. It all goes together. Verse 9 is a little parenthesis in there to add something, but 8 and 10 go together. As we walk as children of light, we will be on a consistent basis proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So what does the word prove mean? Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving, right out of the Greek concordance here, Greek dictionary. Meaning, to put to the test. To determine for the purpose of approving. You say, well, I think I can figure that out. Well, listen again. You really think you have it? It says, to put to the test, here it is, to examine for the purpose of approving. It's not the idea of disproving. It's not the idea of rejecting. It's not the idea of putting aside, not acceptable. No, it is, it is to, to approve. It's like when a, when a child or a young person takes a test in school, hopefully they're taking examination to show what they know, not what they don't know. Okay? Now, we are to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. I like the best definition I think I've ever read, again, was Dr. Kenneth Wiest's explanation. His definition and explanation is found in his book, Word Studies in the Greek New Testament. He said, what's that all about? That's, that's what it's about, studies in the words of the Greek New Testament. So he said, what about, eight, what about 5 verse 10? What about the word proving? Listen to this. To put to the test for the purpose of approving and having found that the thing tested meets the specifications laid down by the test, then to place one's sanction or approval 
on the thing tested. You say, that makes no sense to me. You know why? Because you can't think past cartoons. Because you can't think past your videos. Because you can't think past your latest video game. I mean, if your mind is on these little simple things, killing people and chasing people off and running cars off the road and all that, I'm not surprised if sometimes you hear a simple death. You say, I don't get what that's all about. you got to think a little bit here. It's not that hard. Listen, to put, what does proving mean? To put to the test for the purpose of approving and having found that the thing tested. Here's the key. Specifications laid down by the test. Then to place one's sanction or approval on the thing tested. And I added something to that. I'm not going to add anything to what Dr. Weiss says, so I put dash, arrow, LJK, that's me, and live accordingly, because that's what he's saying. So we basically put every thought, every word, every attitude, every proposed action, anticipated action, we put it to a test. We put it we get an examination. You say, what's the test? What's the proof? What's the examination? Real simple. You tell me. Proving what is, out loud together please, acceptable unto the Lord. That's key. Acceptable. Unto the Lord. What does acceptable mean? Acceptable. Fully agreeable to. Well-pleasing to. Now, folks. That's the key to spiritual revival in my, in my thinking. Being a person who is willing to do what this says. I used to be darkness, now I'm light in the Lord. So I want to walk as a child of light. What am I supposed to do? Well, how's a child of light walk? I put every single thing to the test in every area of life, and I ask one question, does this fully please the Lord? Would you agree? That X's out a lot of stuff people do today. Am I exaggerating? This is not exaggeration, folks. This is exactly what this is saying. Every proposed activity of all the things in my life from A to Z, Monday morning through Sunday night, 24 hours a day, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I put it down this way. We are, to put, we are to put every proposed thought, word, or deed to the test to see if it is fully agreeable. It is well-pleasing to the Lord. And I ask the question, is anybody willing to do that anymore? Are you willing to live like that? Am I willing to live like that? No matter what I might want or don't want, no matter how I think about things, no matter what my opinion is, how I see things, what the latest survey says, what's popular opinion, what's happening in culture, what this church does or what that family does or what these people do. It's like this is not the issue. The issue is, is this well-pleasing, fully agreeable to the Lord? And if it is, green light, go, let's enjoy it, go. If not, can't do it. Can't go there. By the way, there's a good parallel verse. Uh, let's go there quickly. I could quote it, but let's want to turn to maybe you want to write in your Bible. See and put down 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. It's probably the best parallel verse in the Bible to this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. It says the same thing in different words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22. Prove all things. There it is again. Put everything to the test. 
prove all things. So you put it to the test. Now, God through Paul in Ephesians says, is it acceptable unto the Lord? Here it says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Hold fast. Grab it. Get glued to it. Attach it to yourself. If it's good, wonderful. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. What if it doesn't meet the Lord's approval? What if it is unacceptable to the Lord? What if it doesn't match up to God's word? Then he says, abstain from all appearance of evil. What does abstain mean? Stay away from. Say no to. Reject. Everything, every form of evil, and even the things that even have the very appearance of evil, God says, abstain from. Put everything to the test. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Go back to Ephesians 5. So a very simple question goes like this. How can we do this? How can we put everything to the test? How can we examine everything to see if it meets the approval, is agreeable, it's pleasurable to Jesus Christ? How do we do that? How do we know what's acceptable to the Lord? This is such simple preaching. Sometimes I'm embarrassed at how simple my preaching is, but I keep it simple on purpose. I'm accountable to the Lord to help people understand what the Bible says and how I can apply it to my life. But how do I do that? How, how in the world am I supposed to do? How put everything to test to prove whether it's acceptable to the Lord or not? How do we do that? Answer. You got to know your Bible. You have to know your Bible. God doesn't speak in thunder. He doesn't come in the middle of the night and give us some special message. He doesn't say something out loud when he gives us this new revelation. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. And if I want to know what's well-pleasing to the Lord, in spite of what I would think, how I would reason things out, what anybody else or everybody else thinks, no, if I want to know what does God think, there's only one way to find out. I've got to know my Bible. And you will find this morning and tonight that there is something in verses 10 through 17. It's really, it's in, it's behind, it's at the heart of every one of these verses. But it's never mentioned specifically. And you know what it is? It's the Bible. Because for the rest of the message this morning and throughout the message tonight, as we look at these verses one by one, that question will always come up. How can I do that? Where does that come from? The answer is always going to be, we've got to know the word of God. We've got to know our Bible. The most word in this phrase, verse 10, look at verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Most important word by far is the Lord. The Lord. Would you agree with this statement? Nobody died for my soul but Jesus Christ. True or false? Who created you? Who created us? Jesus Christ. Who sustains us? Jesus Christ. Who, who died for us? Jesus Christ. Who rose again for us? Jesus Christ. Who's coming back? Jesus Christ. Who's going to reign forever? Jesus Christ. If that's all true, and that's all true, and a whole lot more truth here, then the most important thing I can and should do is say, Lord, I'm thinking about going there Friday night. A lot of my friends are going. Sounds like a lot of fun. I kind of have some questions about it, so 
I want to I want to know from your word. What do you think about it? Lord, what do you think about that? That's how that's how we live, folks. Ah, there's a new movie out. Everybody's watching. It's supposed to be the greatest movie ever. It's going to be shown Friday night for the first time. Da, 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 and say, you know, I mean, how do I know if it's, okay, get my Bible out. See what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. First, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And then 8 and 9. Well, well to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says, we know that while we're absent from the Lord, we're present in our body. While we're present in our body, we're absent from the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, whether we're present or absent, dead or alive, we're going to be acceptable. We're going to be well-pleasing unto the Lord. It's just how we're supposed to live. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I love these verses. You know the verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Don't miss verse 2. It's got a key word in it. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, listen now, that ye may what? Prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how we're supposed to live, folks. What pleases God? What's God's good and acceptable and perfect will? What is pleasurable to Jesus Christ? What is well-pleasing, acceptable to him? Answer. He tells us in here. And God says that ought to be the heart of every believer, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I have put together a long time ago, and I've preached a series on this. I think one time in church, one time on Wednesday night, I've preached, I've taught it to young people in our Christian school. I put together a list of 22 questions. You say, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, I agree. And there could be a whole lot more, okay? 22 good questions that you and I can and should, we should ask ourselves about any proposed action, any activity, anything. And then... I put behind that question one or sometimes two, maybe three good verses to show where that question comes from. 22 questions to ask and answer to determine if any proposed activity is acceptable, well-pleasing to the Lord and the verse or verses of Scripture that that question is based on. And by the way, you say, you're going to preach on that? I'd love to. You say, well, if you preach on that, I've heard it before. The issue is not with me, have we heard it before? The issue is, are we living it? Are we living it? So what I did was I, I ran off a copy of that. I gave it to Ms. Culver, secretary, and I said, would you run off, what did you say, 30, 40, 30? Would you run off 30 copies of this? Would you put them on the table, not, not out in the lobby now, usher's table right there by the back door, right there, right behind the last pew, usher's little cabinet there. I said, would you put them out there? Would you make them available for our people to take? How many? 30. You say, why 30? There's more than 30 people here because I don't think everybody will take one. And by the way, you said, you care? Yeah, I care. How much do you care? Knowing me, tomorrow morning, I'll go count how many are left. 
So that's a bad trait. No, that's a good trait. That's a shepherd caring for the sheep. To say, look, people heard a message. And they heard that there are some questions they can ask. Right? From the Bible. Questions. Is this acceptable to the Lord? And what a wonderful personal Bible study. What a wonderful study for a couple. What a wonderful study for a family to say, look, it's time we find out what does God say in his Bible about everyday life and making decisions and what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. It's, it's right here. This is our opportunity. I care about that. It will radically change people's lives just to be thinking, what does the Bible say? What does the word say? I encourage you to pick up one. Read the questions. Especially read the verse or verses that go with the question. And then say, wow, I think this might apply to what I was planning to do Saturday evening. Let me think about this. That's how, that's how, we, that's how we live. Look at verse 11. Better get back to our text. Ephesians 5, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It goes right along with verse 7. See, 10 went with 8. 11 goes along with 7. Go back to verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Who's them? Verse before it, children of disobedience. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things, these sinful things listed there, cometh the wrath of God upon somebody. Upon whom? Upon the children of disobedience, unsaved people. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. In our verse here it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So what does the phrase have fellowship with mean? How would you define that? Literally, it means this, to share in company with, to participate, to be a partaker of. Okay, what does he say? And have no fellowship with. Do not share in company with. Do not participate in. Do not be a partaker of. What? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Doesn't that remind us of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14? We read these words. Be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what, listen, and what communion hath light with darkness? The, ex, the accepted answer, the anticipated answer is None. Be ye not unequally yoked together. Don't join up together with unbelievers in their sin. Why? For what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? None. And what communion hath light with darkness? None. Because the little phrase in our text here, have fellowship with, that, that's the exact same word as the word communion in 2 Corinthians 6.14. And what communion does light have with darkness? None. What fellowship with? No, in our text, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So when we're walking as children of light, we cannot have fellowship with, we cannot participate in unfruitful works of darkness. I think Dr. John MacArthur's summary explanation here of this is really, really good in his commentary on Ephesians. Listen to what he says. Here's the verse again. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Here's what he says. The children of light should not become involved in evil even by association. We cannot witness to the world if we do not go out into the world. And we cannot go far into the world before coming in contact with all sorts of wickedness. Can you say amen to that? 
I mean, if you have a job out there in the world someplace, the office, the factory, the, the, the road out here, whatever, you're going to come across some ungodly people. Amen? They're going to do some ungodly things. They're going to say some ungodly, they're going to say some ungodly stuff. They're going to, they're, they're, and you're going to say, whoa, I, I'm amazed at what people talk about anymore. It's like all the filth, all the sin, all the darkness, all the stuff out there. Dr. MacArthur says, we cannot witness to the world if we do not go out into the world. We cannot go far into the world before coming in contact with all sorts of wickedness. But we are never to identify with that wickedness or to give it an opportunity to take hold in our life. To compromise God's standards is to weaken our witness as well as our own character. No act of unrighteousness is permissible. It's all about testimony. It's about our own purity. It's about our own relationship with the Lord. And it's about our testimony to the unsaved. God says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But he's not finished. He says, but rather, what's the next word? Reprove them. Sometimes that's the hard part. What does reprove mean? It means to rebuke. To tell a fault. To expose as being wrong. And by the way, when you really do a word study of this word, reprove. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. When you do a word study of reprove, to rebuke, to tell a fault, to expose as being wrong. The, defini the definition has within it the idea, the meaning of convincing or convicting. Convincing or convicting. So it's not just a matter of saying, well, that's wrong. Or in my opinion, that, that's a no-no. Or whatever else. No, it's more than that. It's speaking out against. It's exposing. It's rebuking. But the idea of the meaning is here in such a way that it is convincing. It is convicting. In other words, it has some impact on the person you're speaking to. It changes something because of what you say. Have no fellowship. No participation. No communion with the unfruitful acts, the works, the deeds of darkness but rather reprove them. So God says, listen, it's one thing, don't do it. But in contrast, along with that, he says, stand up and speak out. Tell them why. Tell them why not. I mean, when somebody asks you to do something, and, and as a Christian, you say, I can't do that because this is what the Bible says, but you don't tell them that. You say, no, well, thanks anyway. You know, thanks for the invitation. Uh, do you ever tell them why? You say, well, I just figured they know. They don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. That's not the issue. God says, have no fellowship, the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather speak out, reprove, rebuke, expose. Say, the reason that I don't, don't mean to offend you. I have no desire to offend you. I, I have no desire to upset you, to ruin your day. But I have to tell you why I can't do that. And then you tell them. You don't have to preach a half-hour sermon, 50-minute message like the pastor, okay? You just, you just quickly tell them. I don't know what this, but I'm, I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior, and I love him. And I believe the Bible is his word. And in the word of God, this is what he says. So thanks for inviting me, but I can't do that. You don't have to back him up in a corner and put your finger in his face and scream at him. You just, you just, you just tell him what's wrong with it. That's what he's saying here. Reprove, speak out. We speak out against sin in our life. We speak out in our sin, in our lips. 
Somebody has well said, the outward life of the Christian should be a clear rebuke and reproof of everything that is sinful. That is a great statement. The outward life of the Christian should be a clear rebuke and reproof of everything that is sinful. So they observe as they see us. And they listen as we say something. Because we reprove, we expose, we rebuke in two ways. Number one, we just don't go along and do it. And number two, we speak up and we say, what's wrong with it? So my question today is, and I say this lovingly, I'm not screaming at you. And I'm, I'm including myself. We're all in this thing together. I was looking last night, in fact, getting ready to go to bed. Looked at the top of the dresser there right by Chester drawers right there by the bed. And on top, there's pictures of my wife and myself. 10th anniversary, 25th anniversary, 40th anniversary, 50th anniversary. Pictures of the two of us. And a few little cherished moments. You ladies know what that's all about? A few little cherished moments are in front of them. One of them has this guy, this little boy and this girl. Are they in some mud or something like that? They're a boy, just a boy? Well, it's the we're in it together. What's that? The phrase we're in it together. Yeah, that's right, in the mud puddle, okay? The boy and the girl, they're in a mud puddle. And, and, and the phrase is, we're in it together. We're in this thing together. Oh, that's, that's a good little thing. My wife and I have been in, been in this thing together now for 54 years. It hasn't been all mud puddles, by the way, but we've been through those too. So when I preach to you, I'm not yelling at you and screaming at you and preaching to you. I'm including me. We're all in this thing together. We're in this thing together. We have to stop excusing our sin. We have to stop getting defensive and defending ourselves in sinful things. We have, to, we have to stop and say, no, I can't read that. No, I will not watch that. No, I'm not going there. No, I can't say that. No, I can't be a part of that. Yes, I need to do this. I should be doing this. I'm going to start doing this. You know, we can't just keep excusing and defending ourselves. It's time we just absolutely say, no, the answer is no. And we go the next step. And we speak out and we tell people what we believe and why we believe. That's what the passage is all about. Now question, how do you do that? How can we do that? On what basis can we say, I will have no fellowship, no communion, no participation with the unfruitful works of darkness, of sin, but I will instead, I will reprove, I will expose, I will rebuke. On what basis? Question. How can I do that? Impossible without this book. How do we know what to reprove? How do we know how, what to expose? Again, how do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? It's the Bible. Got to know our Bible. Well, look at verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of the things done of them in secret. Now read 11 and 12 together. In fact, let's read 10, 11, 12 together. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 
but rather reprove them. For because it is a shame even to speak of the things done of them in secret. You say, what does that mean? Some things are so disgraceful. Some things are so shameful that we as God's people should not even engage in conversation about them. We don't even want to talk to them. The only way that we could ever say something or have any conversation is if it was absolutely seeking to expose, to rebuke. Then we have to do that. And sometimes you can only go even so far with that. Why? Sometimes it's more harmful than helpful to ourselves and other people to even talk about such gross, simple things. Sinful things, not simple, sinful things. It's best for us and others with us to not even be thinking about some sinful things. I'm telling you, folks, I'm not mentioning any. You can guess what I'm thinking if you want to. There are some things today that are very, very, very common in our world. And to me, they are so sinful. They are so gross. They are so wicked. I don't want to talk about them. And I don't even want to think about them. I don't even want my mind to go there. Are you with me? Say amen. And you may have a different ear than I do, each to his own. But God says there are some things. They are unfruitful works of darkness. And they are so vile. They are so wicked. God says his people shouldn't even talk about them. Now, back in these days, probably... Probably it was stuff that was going on in heathen religions, even in religious temples, that was beyond people's imagination. Wicked, vile sins being committed in the name of the God of the temple. And God says to his people, don't even talk about it. If you've heard about it, don't even mention it. Just keep it out of your mind. Sometimes, you know, there's a verse that's in Romans someplace. Sometimes, you know, God says we need to be simple concerning that which is evil. We don't have to know about everything that's going on out there. And if you've got somebody at work that knows all kinds of filth stuff, talks about nasty, dirty things and wild, wicked things, in whatever area it is, sex, demonism, whatever it might be, don't be eager to see what you can learn so you can take a stand against it. Just don't even do that. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of the things done of them in secret. Question, how do we know what things are so evil that we shouldn't even think or talk about them? Answer, the Bible, word of God. Would you go please to verses 13 and 14 and we're done. Just a few words about verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So what is the light that makes manifest that which is sin? What is the light that gives spiritual discernment? You know the answer. Say it with me. The word of God. That's the light. For whatsoever, what does he say? For all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The light. The word of God. The Bible. Say, you know this, Psalm 119, verse 105. You know that verse? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, duly furnished to all good works. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick. It means alive. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing center of the soul and spirits and a joint of and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know what? This book is just so simple. It's so important. This book is the key to this thing called spiritual discernment. Knowing what's right and what's wrong. And how do you know the difference? What is darkness? What is evil? What is wicked? What is sin? That is not acceptable to Jesus Christ. It's something I cannot participate in. It's something that I should be reproving. And it might even be something I shouldn't even talk about it. How in the world can I find out? Because this book is a lamp to our feet. It's a light unto our path. So listen. Is that, are we surprised today that there's more and more sin out there in the world? When I was studying this, this thought came up. It's not a new thought. I think of it often. I should not be surprised that sin is increasing and becoming more and more and more everywhere around us, including, sad to say, in professing children of God. I should not be surprised that there's more and more sin. You know why? Because people know less and less of the Bible. And I've said this so many times, I'll say it again. It is a shame. I am so, I'm so thankful for the, the, the world of technology. I am so thankful for my cell phone. I'm thankful for my computer. I'm thankful for TV. Okay, well, that's a starting statement. I'm thankful. I mean, I thank God for, for technology, modern-day technology, and all the things that we can learn right now so fast. And people, including the people of God, know more and more and more about anything and everything and it seems like they know less and less and less what's in the Bible. And we wonder, why do we live like we live? It, it's all in this passage of Scripture. It's, it's all right here. We've got to know our Bible. And you can, we can hear this. We can believe this. It doesn't do any good unless we, we do something about it. How serious are we about this? I'm not begging you. Yeah, I am. I'm begging you. I can't tackle you. I can't force you to do it. I don't think you realize how different life could be if you would just stop and pick up one of those sheets back there. 22 questions to ask about, is this proposed action well-pleasing to the Lord? Does the Bible give me any guidelines? It will help you so much. And it will not only help you know what to do and what not to do, it will help you take that next step in being willing and ready to reprove, to rebuke, to expose verbally. We've got to know what's in the Bible. We can't encourage somebody else to stop doing that we're doing it, and we don't even know what's wrong. You say, well, I don't want to find out what's right or wrong. Are you serious? You say, well, now, the more I find out, and I go get that sheet back there, and I start reading these things, it's like, whoa, then that kind of cancels out my Friday night plans. Sorry about, Sorry I read the sheet. That doesn't sound like a Christian. It certainly is not a spirit-filled Christian. Would you say amen to that? That's not how God's people think. 
That's not how we live. It's like, because frankly, we are responsible to know the truth. We are responsible for God's truth, whether we know it or not. Say, well, you know, the less I learn, the less I'm accountable for. Are you serious? You don't really think that. Yeah, the least I know, then the more I can say, well, I didn't know that. That's, that's, not, that's not how God's people think. It's not how we're supposed to live. So I want to close with this this morning. Why don't we confront, expose, reprove sin today? When we hear it, when we see it, why are we oftentimes silent? Close your Bibles, please. And let me just read what I wrote, just to save time. I've already given one answer. The main answer is because much of the time we don't know enough scripture to even know what's right or wrong and why. That's one answer. But here's, here's, here's some of the reasons that we just kind of silent with this thing. Number two, we know we are so imperfect ourselves, So we feel that we don't have a right to speak out about somebody else's sin. I mean, I know I'm doing these things and other things, so I really can't speak out about somebody else. Someone who's more perfect will have to deal with that situation. That person said, number three, we think the best way to live is just to mind our own business, not be getting into somebody else's business, just like each to his own, okay? They're responsible for their lives and whatever, and I'm responsible, so I just stick to myself. Number four, we don't want to take a chance of losing a friend or offending or angering somebody who might resent our reproof. In other words, it, it might destroy a friendship. It might end up doing more harm than I don't want to do that. Number five, we remember that Jesus said we're not supposed to judge people. When Jesus said judge not, he did not he's not talking about this. There's no contradictions in the Bible. He's not saying don't be discerning. He's saying do not condemn to hell, that kind of thing. Do not question the motive always, okay? But we always, people, my favorite verse is judge not that you be not judged. No, this doesn't tie in with this, okay? Number six, we fear we might be accused of being unloving or maybe being somebody who has a, a holier-than-thou attitude. I don't want people to think of me as being unloving. I don't want people to think that I've got a pride problem, that I'm egotistic, that I just feel like I'm so far above them so I can you know, tell them that they're doing something wrong. You know, I don't want to live like that. I only have eight. Number seven, we don't want to cause a problem in the family or a problem in the office or maybe even a problem at church. I don't want to cause a problem, so I, I should keep my mouth shut here, okay? And finally, evangelists and pastors, they're supposed to preach against sin. They're supposed to deal with it whenever they see it. I mean, this doesn't necessarily have to be for church members. No, Ephesians was not just written to pastors. Ephesians was not just written to evangelists. This is for brothers and sisters in Christ. This is for Christian people. And God says we are to walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things done to them in secret. And he tells us that light manifests, reveals darkness, and it all comes through the Bible. Would you close your eyes, please, and bow your head? Would you take the message and put it before the Lord? Would you just say, Father, help me to honor your word. I know this is your word. I know it's true. Help me to live like this. 
not for my glory, not for my praise, not for any benefit that I might get out of it, but for your honor, for your glory. Help me to live a life moment by moment that is well-pleasing to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you talk with the Lord about that? As our pianist plays this morning, talk with the Lord. Just pray. Why don't we stand while we do this? And I'll just step down front for a moment here. And if you want to come and talk to me, if you want a word of prayer together, if there's something I can help you with, if you're not a Christian and say, I don't even know if I'm saved, could somebody help me? I'll surely have somebody take you to a Sunday school classroom and show you from the Bible. I'd, I'd love to do that, okay? So would you pray as we stand together, our pianist plays, and if I can help you, I'm down front, okay? Could I ask you please to have a seat just before we go this morning? I have an announcement to make. I've made the decision to retire as pastor of the church, effective as of the end of June. You say, you're really excited about that. No, I'm not excited about it. You say, man, you've been waiting for a long time just to get to retire. I have no desire to retire. I really don't. I love what I do. I love some of it more than others. <laughs> okay. Some of it's easier than others. I love to study the Bible. I love to preach the Bible. I love to talk with people. I like to plan things. I just like to be involved. I am not a sit-around guy. I cannot in my wildest imagination even think of Larry Carsey's retiring. What are you going to do today? Go to the barbershop. <laughs> no, I, I want to I I stay busy. I want to serve the Lord. You say, listen, why are you retiring? It's not, you say, did you decide that yesterday? No. Decide that when you had your eye surgery? No. When? I don't know. I used to pray about it once a year. And there came a time when I started praying about it a couple times a year. Eh, maybe every two or three months I'd pray about it. You know, knowing, you know, I'm not living in denial. I'm like everybody else. I get a little older. And as I've gotten older, I thought, you know, how long are you going to preach? How long are you going to pastor? I don't know. How long do you want to preach? Forever. Until the rapture. How long do you want to pastor? Forever. You're going to be pastor when you're 85? Probably. Well, maybe people wouldn't want that. Well, I don't, I get my message from the Lord, you know, my direction from the Lord. So when are you going to retire? I don't know, someday. And then through the years, you think about it more. You pray about it more often. Instead of praying once or twice a month, you pray once or twice a week. And then it's like, you start praying about it, it's kind of like every day. You start thinking about it more during every day. You know, how long can you go on like that? I don't know. Some days I just, I just know it's time to retire. It's time to retire. It's time for the church to have a younger man pastor, somebody with more energy, somebody with more zeal, more zip, somebody that doesn't forget things. You know, how many times lately have I said, I don't remember? <laughs> yeah, you have Alzheimer's. I don't think so. I hope not. I think you've got dementia. I, don't, I, I may have that too. I don't know. I just know that I forget things more than I used to. I don't want to forget the important things. 
I get tired a little quicker now than I used to. Oh, I hate to admit this. It takes me a little longer to do things now than it used to. Can some of you even relate to that? It's like, and, and sometime during the week I'll think, you know, for the, for the good of our church, I owe it to the people. I should retire. And I keep on going. I get up here on Sunday and I get to preach. Every Sunday, I walk out that aisle, I walk down that aisle, and I say, Heavenly Father, I'm so glad I didn't retire. I got to preach again. I love to preach. And a week later, I walk down the same aisle after another message, and I say, thank you for keeping me going, Father. But I know I, I, can't, I can't live like that forever. I know that. And I don't like saying this, but um, with the ever-increasing speed of things and how things change so much, when you add to that just the tech world and what it seems like you really have to know today to survive and do things well, I'm a little bit behind. There's some things I don't understand, some things I can't do that most people can do. And it helps them do things faster. Sometimes I find myself embarrassed, like, I don't, I don't even know that. You have no idea how many times I've, I've paged Ms. Culver. Ms. Culver said, could you move my office, please? I got this problem with my computer. I feel embarrassed every time I do this. Like, most people could fix this. I can't fix it. And it's a complex world we live in. And in the administrative things, all the things that I am responsible for from A to Z as a pastor of a church, I just don't feel like I'm able to do all the things I used to do. I don't think I can do them as well as I used to, as well as they need to be done, to keep track of everything, to head up everything. It's just a complex thing. And I, I, th I love doing it. But I just know that the Lord has been speaking to me over a period of some. I've prepared the deacons. We've talked about it a couple of times. You probably, you folks, you probably, sometime in the past, you've heard me use the word, you've heard the word retire or retirement slip out in a message. So, yeah, did you, did you, no, I, I did it on purpose. Because so that at least I could prepare you and help you know that I am thinking about this. And I made the decision, I don't know, two or three months ago probably, shared it with the deacons, that sometime this spring, I would announce that I was going to retire. So I want to continue to be the pastor as for the months of March, April, May, and June. And on the last day of June, I will no longer be the pastor. Say, pastor, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I know where you're going to Tampa, Florida. I have no plans to move to Tampa, Florida. One night I did go on the Internet and look for housing in Tampa. This was several months ago. It took me about 10 minutes to realize I can't afford to live there. <laughs> okay. They, 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 I've, been, I've not been invited to go there. Nobody's begging me to go there. I know my daughter's there now. I know we visited there. That's for our daughter. Right now, you say, what are you going to do? Right now, we're planning to stay here. I, we're, th this is our home. I love this church. I love you people. Right now, we're planning to stay here. I don't know how long. I don't know how long we're going to stay when we got here. We stayed here a long time, what, 32 years? Just day by day. That's how I live, day by day. We sang this duet this morning. That was not easy, by the way. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. You heard the song. We sang it on purpose because that's how we live. That's how we have to live. So I'm, we're, we're, we have no plans other than staying here and saying, whoever becomes the next pastor, can I serve in some way? You need help? Hey, you know, I'll be able to say no. <laughs> I can say no like you. I'll be glad to help whenever I can help. I'll be glad to do whatever I need to do. 
be a member of the church just like me. Kind of like Mr. Tillman, you know. Old Frank over here, my buddy Frank. Brother Schrader, you know, some of you retired, and it's just like, what can I do to serve? Be glad to. If the Lord leads us someplace else, only he knows where that would be. Only he knows what I'd be doing. I doubt if I'll be leaving here to go be a pastor someplace else. Can you imagine pulpit committees looking at resumes as a 77-year-old guy? I don't think they're going to be lined up to have me come and candidate. You say, well, would you ever pastor a church? I might. I don't know. I have no idea. I might go be an assistant pastor someplace. Just help a pastor out. I'd love to do that. I think I'd understand his heart and his job. I've been one. I'll go be a music director someplace. I could do that. Be assistant pastor in music. I don't think anybody's going to hire me for a youth pastor. You know what I mean? I think those days are done, but I'd do that too. Just whatever the Lord leads. If he ever leads us to move, we move. When? I don't know. Where? Have no idea. Doing what? No clue. All I'm saying to you is, I believe it's best for me, I believe it's best for our church, for me to retire as the pastor here. I just, I know that's the Lord's will. Do I like that? No, but I know it's what he wants, and his will is always best. So for, for us, it's like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So I've been praying every day for weeks since this decision was made. It's like, Father, I love you. I want to serve you, whether it's here or someplace else. I don't care. Whatever you know me, you know my weaknesses, you know my strengths, you know my abilities, what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, you know what everything goes, you know everything about me. So if you want me in your service someplace doing something, that's fine. If not, that's okay. But I want to be in your will. And let me just say this about the church, okay? According to our Constitution, the deacons serve as the pulpit committee. The deacons of our church will serve as the pulpit committee. They will have the task of searching for the pastor for this church. I will assist them in any way that I can. I will be at the meetings. If there comes a time when they don't want me at the meetings, that's fine. I can step out. But I will give whatever direction I can give. I would like to help, okay? Whatever that means. And I've, I've shared with the deacons. My announcement this morning is not surprising the deacons. I told them, what, I think two or three weeks ago in our meeting, that on March the 6th, I would be making this announcement so they know about that. As far as our church goes, here's a good verse for our church. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's out of context, I know. I got enough sense to know that, okay. God will supply our financial needs as we keep him first. That's what it's all about, Paul, just living day to day, trusting the Lord. But God says through Paul to the church, God will take care of you too. You've been good to me, God. That's what Paul said. You've provided for me, God's going to meet your needs. But you can take that verse, and whatever the need is, listen, it's not easy for a church to find another pastor. There are a whole lot more churches today looking for pastors than there are pastors looking for churches. That is really, really difficult for churches to find good pastors today. I know that. 
and I would be willing to help. But you people can say, look, God, this is God's church. It's not Pastor Carson's church. It's not our church. This is the Lord's church. And God does want a church to have pastors, and he wants the church to have the right kind of pastors. So we, we just keep going forward to serve the Lord, and God will give us the right man. God will do that. I have no doubt about that. I think the best days by far are, uh, for this church are in the future, not the past. God will send a church. God will send a pastor. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Show thee great mighty thing. Pray. James 1, 5, faith man like wisdom, by the mask of God. So we pray. Together we pray that God will send us the pastor. And then along with praying, I want to encourage you. Do not forget Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, why are you giving those verses? Do you have any idea how much Satan loves to come in and ruin a church between pastors? Oh, he thrives on that. And I would beg you folks, together we just pray. And we stay together in unity. What is it? Uh, Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. So let's go forward being together. We might not always agree. You might not agree with somebody else or whatever. Just, it's just, we, this is a local church. By the grace of God, we will pray together. We'll ask God to give us the next pastor. We will trust him to lead us. And he said he will do that. He will do that. Could we stand together, please? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you again for the privilege that I have to be the pastor of this church. Thank you for these wonderful people. Thank you for the leadership in our church, our good board of deacons who now become our pulpit committee. I do pray even now, Father, that you will move upon their hearts, knit us together, guide us as we go forward from here. I pray for our people today. I thank you for their love. I thank you for their faithfulness. I pray, Father, that you will bless during these next few weeks and months as I do continue to be the pastor and then as I step aside, that you will direct in such a wonderful way that we will all be able to look back and say, we know this was right. We know it's best. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.